Welcome to episode 306 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. NPR interviewed me about networking at events. I was featured at NPR for expertise I worked over a decade to achieve, but had not spoken about for two and a half years because speaking about inclusive networking at events had been irrelevant. But it's now a hot topic, and NPR found my TEDx talk, Hate Networking, Stop Bagling and Be the Croissant, which was based on the content from my first book, Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. It's been amazing to see how far and wide my NPR interview has been shared, including a segment on All Things Considered and on The Morning Edition. Check out the full interview at robbysamuels.com forward slash NPR. Reach out if you're looking for someone to speak about networking at your conference or to help you design a more engaging in-person or virtual event. I believe events are about content and connection, and I'm committed to helping you and your team create a great experience. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest is known as a human development investigator. He's a strategist who shares how to use adult development theory to dramatically change how you can effectively build connections with others, understand yourself more deeply, and positively influence those around you. He's a best-selling author and host of the Disney Plus show, Family Reboot, who has spoken in 48 states and five countries to over 750,000 people. He has extensively studied human dynamics and relationships. He's been invited to speak at the White House twice and has been quoted in media outlets like the New York Times, USA Today, Forbes, Black Enterprise, Huffington Post, and as a contributor to TV shows like The Doctors. He's also a fellow dad joke enthusiast. Please join me in welcoming Arel Moody. I feel like I should just like jump in with the dad joke. I should just be like, what, 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 did, the, what did the drummer name his twin daughters? What is it? Anna one, Anna two. <laughs> Thanks just, for joining us for your place. Just start right there. We're just gonna in lay the down right Syracuse there. area, New York. Well, I taught my, my uh, kid when he was about three and a half, four years old, a joke that he still tells. Why was the strawberry so sad? Why? Because his family was in a jam. <laughs> Told by a like three or four year old, it's particularly cute. <laughs> I, I got I got one that kills in the in the young demo. It's like one of those things where you're like kinda it's a little uncomfortable, but it's perfect for the young demo. And I'm I think I think it's gonna work. Here we go. Why did the toilet paper not cross the road? Why? got stuck in a crack <laughs> okay then all right so this is a show that's like gray. Bum. Gray. <laughs> i'm gonna share that later today um to, to my dad who is like the grandpa of bad dad jokes uh so this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership so tell me how do you define leadership and when did you realize you have the skills to lead yeah, you know, I think leadership is a very fascinating subject um, because there's so many books written on it. Um, I actually think it actually develops over time into different definitions, um, which I'm happy to go over because uh, I spent a lot of my time st uh, studying um, something called adult development theory, how adults pass through these predictable stages of maturity. Now, in each one of these stages, leadership will mean something different. Currently, um, the way that I'm defining it based on the stage of development that I'm in, I see leadership as how do you empower others to hit the goals that are most important to them without you being the cog in the wheel. Um, leadership is not about me being the person that makes everything happen and like I'm the one that made it happen. How do I empower people so that they can get the things they need to get done without having to come to me as the bottleneck? Um, now, this develops and matures over time in, in the definition, but that's kind of where I'm, I'm currently playing with it. And I think where it started for me was, was college. Uh, I was thrown into it 
as I joined lots of student organizations. And when you join student groups and people see something in you, they kind of want you to join and you should take an executive role and you should take a president role. And I think ever since then, um, and then since I got interested in entrepreneurship, I, I thought that was like the ultimate leadership because when you're an entrepreneur, you are in control of everything. Literally, if your business does poorly, it's a reflection of you. If it does well, it's a reflection of you. Um, and there's no coasting. It's not like, oh, I'm part of like this big 30,000 employee company. So like if I coast a little bit, we'll still move forward. Entrepreneurship, is, I think, is the ultimate leadership. So um, when I got introduced to entrepreneurship as an undergrad, uh, it's been what I've always done. I've never had a real job and um, I, I've loved it ever since. So just to news Jack for a moment, uh, we can't quite quit as entrepreneurs. <laughs> or mm -hmm. whatever the current term is of the day for that. Like quiet like, quitting or something? Quiet quitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no quiet yeah. quitting. Cause if you quit on yourself, it's just, which- <laughs> It's who, over. Who, who's hurt? <laughs> the company, which is your thing? Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Nope. You know, I really, uh, this piece about um, inspiring others and getting out of the way, like not being the bottleneck, I think is so key. I think the micromanager is the one who gets in the way. Um, they don't let people really thrive. So you're really like finding out what sparks other people and then guide them forward. And clearly, if you were recognized in college for having some leadership potential, I want to wind the clock back a little bit on you. Um, what were you like in grade school? You know, the playground, like were you organizing your friends or watching how things unfolded? Did you run for a student office? Yeah, no, none, none of those things. see anything in you? Who do you look up to? Like, what I, was just like trying, I was just trying not to get beat up, man. I grew up in the inner city in uh, the projects in Brooklyn. So it, it was very interesting. I, I reflect a lot on my childhood. And I think that like maybe if I grew up in a different environment, I may have embraced leadership from an earlier age. But I think when you grow up trying to survive, anything that makes you stand out is bad. Um, it's kind of like the blades of grass analogy, where it's like the blade of grass that's taller is the one that gets cut first. So you kind of want to almost like dampen your your light in yourself. So I think for the longest time, it was just, you know, trying to survive. But one thing that has always been persistently um, consistent in my personality is observing human dynamics. Since I was younger, I'd be like, how come that kid tells the joke and everyone laughs and I tell the joke and no one laughs? How come when that kid wears those pants, no one says anything, but if that kid wears the pants, everyone makes fun of them. So like, I was very intrigued by um, social dynamics and why wh why it works over here, why it doesn't work. And I think that actually was my, my setup for it because of that uh, observe, observation observing others, I started realizing, well, okay, this kid is a jerk, but is the most popular kid. How could you take those same qualities and actually do something good with it? So I've been fascinated by questions like that since I was younger, so that's been persistent, but the confidence to actually take a role on didn't develop until college. I'm, I'm wondering if this observance of how others, you know, interact, the di social dynamics, has that actually helped you, you know, kind of navigate what sounds like a really difficult space to be in when you're a kid and you're trying not to stand out, you're trying to just get by and survive and not get picked on and not be seen in, in a way, uh, which is hard. Cause like, I look, think about who you are today and I'm like, you're not a person who's shy and like hiding in the corner, right? Like, um, but to, but to try to navigate that was being observant part of sort of the, the tool in your toolbox. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have given it that language then. Um, I think all of us, depending upon what our childhood dynamic was, we build certain skill sets to survive that um, stage of life, right? So if you're in a, a wonderful family, you have different skill sets. If you're in a, a family who maybe has an alcoholic or abusive parent, you develop certain skill sets. So for me, my observation allowed me to go, don't go to that part of the neighborhood, that's where bad things happen. If you're on the train, sit on the car where the conductor is because you have less of a chance of getting robbed if you're on the train where the conductor is because the conductor has a chance to call the police or intervene. So if a robbery was going to happen, it's probably not going to happen on that car. So every time I'm in that car, it's not stressful. Every time I'm in the back car, it is stressful between this stop and this stop is the longest stops. This is when if someone is going to get messed with, they so like things like that, I constantly became aware of so I can just literally survive um, the environment that I was in. So I think one of the the big lessons I've learned in my adulthood is realizing the lessons and the skill sets that we build to survive certain stage of our life 
don't necessarily have to be a part of how we interact today, but ideally if you can pull the best of it. So like, I'm not in an environment now, like I live in the suburbs. I don't have to worry about like the same challenges I did growing up, but that observation skill set can still benefit me in many ways. Yeah, I think that um, you probably can't appreciate the mental energy you were using to kind of just move through the day until you no longer are in it and you suddenly have that sort of mental space energy to, to do other things. I, I had that, um, you know, growing up, you know, getting on trains and, and don't stand at the end of the platform where your only egress is through someone who's trying to hassle you. You know, like that, that kind of message is in my head. You're constantly calculating like where to go. Don't get on a, on a car that's only got one guy in it. You know, <laughs> like just, just like trying to, you know, be smart about those decisions. And, um, I, I, my dad actually grew up in the inner city of Brooklyn and like, he, you know, and he was saying at the time he had very little understanding of what was possible as an adult. Cause you know, he had like the postman, police officer, lawyer, <laughs> like there wasn't right. like a lot of great like role models. Um, especially in his time frame. you know, there wasn't, you know, an internet to widen the scope. When you were 12, did it, you have like a, a sense of what you might do later in life? Did you think you were going to get out of that situation and go somewhere you know, and only, do something? Yeah, the only thing that I knew is that I grew up in the projects, but I didn't want to end up in the projects. That's the only thing I knew. Um, so for me, I, you know, I couldn't shoot a basketball really well. Uh, I couldn't rap. I couldn't do any of those things. So I always saw college um, as the way out. And honestly, I, I was fortunate because around that age is when like Saved by the Bell started going into their college years and Will Smith from Fresh Prince started going into their college years. So through TV, I started seeing this kind of like Shangri-La that was college. So it became my aspirational, like I knew for sure that was gonna be the thing that I would do. How, how I got there and what that would look like, I didn't know, but I just knew like that was my avenue because these other avenues, it wasn't gonna work for me. I didn't have that skill set. Yeah, yeah. The other ways out. We're not, we're not sort of uh, instinctively part of your your uh, your skill set. Um, yeah. But you know, even college is not a sure thing. Uh, was anyone in your um, family or close friends like had gone to college? Was that a path laid out in front of you? Yeah, you know, my brother went to college, uh, so he's two years older than me. I went to the same. Um, I went to Binghamton University, which is a, a SUNY school. Um, he got into that school first, so at around like sixteen. I was able to go up to college and visit him. And when I visited him, I was like, okay, the parties was dope. The girls were dope. The you know, he was like, there's no stress up here. It's like, if you could do the project, this is a cakewalk, man, you gotta get it. So like, that was uh, an amazing experience. But before that, a year before that, when I was probably like maybe 14, maybe two years, 14 or 15 or so, um, Columbia University there, um, I'll never forget it. They had their, their black student union. Uh, had this weekend where they took kids uh, from the inner city high school kids, brought them to college for the weekend and had them experience, you know, the college life. You know, we slept in dorms and we had mentors and protégés. And, you know, that was the first time that I saw kids who looked like me, um, who were cool at like Columbia. So I like, that was like my original goal. I was like, oh man, Columbia, that would be amazing. But it was in the city. And I didn't want to go to school in New York City. Like, it didn't matter what it was. I was like, I just don't want to stay in the city. I don't care how cool it is. But I knew that was possible. So I'm a huge advocate that um, exposure is one of the fundamental important aspects of transformation. Because until I see something, I can't believe it. So I can tell you about everything, but I've got to see it. And the more we see things, whatever it might be, whether it's starting a business, exiting a business, having a friend that you know, does a TV show, having a friend that writes a best-selling book or having a friend that creates a great podcast, whatever it might be. Uh, if you see it, then it feels less unreal. And I think that's a very important aspect that gets often like forgotten. Yeah. I, I love talking to you about your experience with this because, you know, I'm aware of a lot of these different projects that bring kids from the inner city to, you know, whatever the suburbs are. And it's, you know, and you always wonder like, well, what's the impact? And you're saying it was profound. It gave you a goal. Then your your brother um, went down that path and you were able to soon follow. And um, I went to SUNY Stony Brook, Stony Brook University. And so very familiar with the SUNY school district. Um, and you said Binghamton is where you went? I did. Yeah, yeah. That's an amazing university too. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's like one of the more big, big deal SUNY schools too. Um, and nowhere near the city, I might add for anyone who's listening uh, from um, globally far away from New York. Um, so 
going in, did you have a plan for, you know, you said you never had a real job, you you focused on entrepreneurship, but did you know then even that you wanted to go that path or like what was, the, was all, what was the game it was plan? all happenstance man it was all happenstance and it's it's kind of putting yourself in a good position the the long story very short is um i found a book called rich dad poor dad um i was visiting my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife um she was in korea um i went to go visit her uh wash dishes saved up all the money i could to buy my one eight hundred dollar plane ticket um took me a year to do that and I'm in the airport and there was nothing in English, right? There was nothing except that book. So I was like, all right, well, I got nothing to do. Let me read it. And that book was like, oh, snap, rich people think like this. Poor. I was like, this is exactly how my family, oh my gosh, I got to think like the rich people do. So one of the things they said in the book was to find people and mentor and like model them. So what I did is I went up to local, I, I made a list of people I thought was successful locally at my college. And I went up to them and I interviewed them about their story. It turns out every single person that I thought was successful was an entrepreneur. They owned the pizza shop, they owned the comic book shop. Now I didn't make that connection, but through those interviews, they connected me with a man named Angelo Mastrangelo, who um, had built a very, very successful business for himself, sold it, it was then the entrepreneurship professor at the institution. They said, hey man, if you're interviewing people, you gotta get in with this guy. And that was the guy that introduced me to entrepreneurship. That was the guy that told me what it was, became my mentor. I took his entrepreneurship class. I got a business. He had a business plan competition that he funded. Um, I won the business plan competition. I got money to start a business while I was in school. And to this day, like I literally, I spoke to him last week. He's still my mentor. Um, so it was through that like happenstance that I got exposed to it. And when I understood what entrepreneurship was, I was like, this is me this is what I want to do. And I started doing it um, my senior year of college and uh, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, it's not been fun the whole time. Don't get me wrong. Like there's been some eating adobo and drinking water for weeks on end, you know, like that's all I had, but the journey was always worth it. It was always worth it. What an amazing um, set of sort of serendipital moments, because I mean, one that you had someone you loved who was in Korea and that you took the time to earn the money to go visit and then and and didn't bring any reading material with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you're you're in this airport and you're like, oh, I guess I need to pick up something. And that's the book that you pick up of, of any book. It's like I actually just put that in my queue to listen to because I've never actually uh, read it. And um, but it's it keeps coming up. And I was like, oh, you know what? I want to I want to finally you know hear more about this. Um, but that you know you are you are a, a student of human observation like that's that's totally who you are and you've always been for reasons that were necessary and in this moment you were observing like what to you felt like success you know and then it the not recognizing the thread was entrepreneurship like not not having that concept and then you get introduced to someone who's like a really you know great resource great mentor teacher and like opening doors for you, but then you apply yourself, right? Like you don't just say, oh, this seems like a lot of work, <laughs> whatever. I'll go back to studying, you know, the lowest common denominator subjects that I don't, anyone's can do just get a degree. You apply yourself. What was that? What was that first, um, the, the one that you won the business plan? Like what was the plan? What was the business you were launching? Yeah. So the very first business was, um, we created a website that found off-campus housing, roommates, and sublets for college students. So um, I ran it, you know, the big thing that my mentor told me was always the opportunity model, opportunity model, which is don't look for opportunities, look for problems. The solution to the problems is the opportunity. That was like the crux of everything that he taught us. So like I had a problem finding off-campus housing because back in the day, it was like Excel spreadsheets and like Craigslist, but those weren't student-based. Um, and or flyers around campus, you know, so we're like, yo, maybe we can create something with this cool thing called the internet um, that could solve that problem. So that's where that came from. So I ran that for four years before um, I started getting into public speaking, which is how you and I connected uh, through the professional speaker network. Um, and I fell in love like I, I've never um, I've never experienced like that business was cool. But I never had the feeling like when I first saw a good public speaker that I was like, I want to do that for the rest of my, that's the only thing I want to do. I don't know what that is. I want to do that for the rest of my life. And, um, I, I've been fortunate enough to do that for about 16 years now. And, um, it's, I'm as passionate about it today as I was when I first saw that awesome speaker. Do you remember who it was? Victor Antonio. 
Uh, wow. So if anyone knows Victor Antonio, he's uh, huge in the sales uh, world. But when I heard him speak, he was doing more on diversity. Um, so, and he went by Victor Gonzalez back then. I don't know if I'm shouting out his government. Uh, he was Victor Gonzalez back then, but he, he moved to Victor Antonio because um, Antonio was, Victor Gonzalez is like, like there's a thousand Victor Gonzalez's, like it's hard to find, but there's not very many Victor Antonio. So if you Google him, great guy, great content, great swag. Um, and I was like, you know what? I want to do this. This is this is like the thing I want to do. I've heard this from a few other professional speakers who went somewhere. Someone maybe came to their office to do some presentation or they go to a conference and they they don't understand that that person got paid. Like they don't think of it that way. They just go up to them like, wow, I want to do what you're doing. Like, how are you doing this? And they're like, well, this is my business this is what I do. And you're like, what? You get paid? <laughs> and I can't that light tell bulb you how moment. often people are like, what else do you do? I'm like, well, this is like, this is my thing. And they're like, but like, this is it. It's like, yeah, it's my thing. I like, this is the thing I like to do. So it was a very fun conversation for a long time that people just couldn't yeah. grasp it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. What was the earliest topics you spoke on? Yeah, so student success, that, that's where I started. So um, I was 22. When I started speaking and um, I told Victor, I said, man, watch out for me in 20 years. I'm going to be doing what you're doing. And he said, well, why don't you talk? Why don't you start now? And I was like, because I'm 22. No one's going to listen to me. And they asked me about my story. And I told him about how I you know, went to college and came from the inner city. And you know, I was president for student organizations. He was like, hey, you did really well as a student. Why don't you just show students what you did? And this was like the light bulb moment. He said, if you do it, you can speak to them from a big brother perspective. When I speak to them, I'm a father figure perspective. There's a huge opportunity for you. And when he said that, I was like, that's it. That's the move. So it was all about like, you know, how to graduate, how to get into college, how to succeed in college. And my whole thing was taking personal development. So I wasn't like, here's how you study or here's how you, you know, it wasn't about that. It was more about the, um, the student success side. And then that evolved into student entrepreneurship uh, because that became a huge opportunity and my background lended for that. Uh, then it went back into the student success space. And then that kind of transformed into the work that I do now, which is more on adult development theory, which is more for businesses and organizations. But um, students was um, that that was that was my thing. I love it. I still love it to this day. Honestly, I do. Like, I still love it. I mean, it's it's another page out of the do what you know, uh, the problems you've experienced or the successes you can share. Right. You can help other people find those solutions. You wrote a book on it in 2009. So you gave you know, it's a lot of credibility as a speaker to have a book, even at a young, very young age, puts you, you know, in a different place. Um, it, it's, it's really cool to hear how you develop this. At, at what point did it become a business? I mean, there's a, I like speaking and then there's the, I actually do this for a living. <laughs> you know, there's a real difference. And sometimes it takes people a lifetime to figure that out. When did you, how did you conceptualize this yeah. as your job. I was fortunate. Yeah, I was fortunate. And I, and, I, and I know this because I started so young. So when you start at 22, you don't need much. You know what I mean? I was living in a $400 a month apartment and I had a roommate. So we were splitting it, you know, eating a lot of ramen, a lot of, you know, so in the beginning, it was a lot of just, you know, I didn't need much. So I was fortunate. I didn't have, a, I wasn't starting at 50 where, I have a mortgage and wife and kids and saving goals and retirements around the corner. You know, I was like, I could risk failing. And I was like, the worst thing that would happen is I get a job. That was like the worst thing that like, if I got so deep into the like mockery of, of despair and I got there sometimes for sure, where I was like, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Um, I just kind of dug deep and, you know, found out solutions. And I think the biggest thing that I discovered is there is the craft of speaking, putting together a good talk, right? Then there's the message of speaking, which is having a good message. And then there's the business of speaking. Those are three very different things. There are people who are excellent stage presenters, but they don't have a good message. Um, there's people with a great message who have no stage presence. And there's people with a great message, great, but they have no business acumen. So my goal is to kind of, and I learned it in that order. It was stage presence first, message second, business third. And that was kind of the order. And once I focused on the business, it went off. But there's a lot of people focused just on the business and not the stage or the or the message. And then they're just like that sleazy guy that's or gal that's doing it. So, you know, luckily for me, I've been doing it since I was 22. Um, but I also started not needing much to 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 get by. Yeah, you know, it's really different. Your your 
success metrics at that age are going to be a lot different than when you've got the mortgage and retirement coming up. Um, and you get to, the, I mean, I, everyone always says that you need to have lots of reps, you know, exposure on stage and just put the time in and that's how you, you get better. But were there people or organizations that helped you kind of learn those three stages of building this into something successful? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely. So um, when I very first started, there was an, or I don't think it exists anymore, um, but when I very first started, there was a group called Making It Count. Um, they were a great organization and they would send you into high schools and you would learn their scripts and do their scripts. So I basically learned stage presence um, through that network. They have incredible speakers, dudes like Eddie Francis. And, you know, these dudes were like, like I, I mean, I don't know if these are household names, but to me, they were like celebrities, they were rock stars. So I learned stage presence from them. Um, and then um, I met a guy named Michael Simmons, um, who we actually went into business together on the student entrepreneurship side. And I went really deep into messaging um, with him. And then what happened, which I think was like a really big gift, is with student entrepreneurship. So one of the things that we did is we had a company called Extreme Entrepreneurship Tour. So we brought entrepreneurs under the age of 30 who'd built very successful businesses to come to high schools and colleges and talk about their story. So what happened is I started meeting these really, really successful entrepreneurs. Like I was like, I don't deserve to be in the same room as these guys and gals, they're amazing. But what happened is I would start asking them all these questions. Well, how do you get clients? How'd you get your first client? How do you market? How do you sell? So we had these, these um, trips in between um, our events and I would just sit down there and grill all of these incredible entrepreneurs with everything. So what I did was I tried to take stuff that was outside of my space and bring it inside of my space. And that, that gave me, I think, a very competitive advantage because a lot of the stuff they did didn't apply to me, but then a lot of the stuff did, you know? Um, so I was very fortunate to um, pick the brains of lots of successful entrepreneurs and then figure out like what works for me, what doesn't. And then lots of iterations, lots of reading books, pulling one nugget, going to boot camps, getting one nugget. And it's a lot of like these one nuggets. Um, but then once I kind of dialed in like, okay, this is what you have to do on the business side, which I'm happy to talk about if you want to go deeper. Um, it, it, uh, it really opened up for me. I, I think that there's this natural skill set that you seem to have, which is around interviewing people, which starts with not being afraid to approach people. So, and then getting comfortable with actually having those conversations and then realizing there's value in having these conversations and applying what you learn so that you want to keep doing it. You did that in college. It's kind of how you found your way into entrepreneurship. You were doing it here to build the business up. I mean, that, that is a real skill set. Um, that a lot of people probably discount if they have it or don't think that something they should work towards because they're just, why would I talk to someone? Why would they want to talk to me? You know, there's a lot of mindset stuff that gets in the way. It feels like you had nothing to lose. Like, and that really that sense of whatever, like I have to get a job. That's, that's what's going to happen. And I'll keep working on this either way. Um, so where do you think that, I know there's, it's it's like a it's a little bit of a chutzpah gutsiness <laughs> that's built yeah. into that. No, I mean I think you said something that was really profound, and I want to repeat it because it's really profound. Um, anyone listening to this, I'm I'm speaking directly to your soul right now. There's something that you're really really good at that you don't think is a skill simply because you're naturally good at it. Um, my curiosity is something that's always been there. Um, and I never thought curiosity, I was like, anyone can ask a question. Like, there's no skill set. I'm just like, how do you do this? Robbie, how do you have such a fantastic beard? What do you do to ma manicure that beard so perfectly? Right? Like I could ask him and then he could tell me, I was like, there's no skill set in that. It's just like any, so what happens is we discount the skill set. So my skill set I realize is I like asking questions. I like learning about random things. Like what's the mating rituals of lemurs? I don't know. I'm super fascinated by it. I just made that up in my head. Now I want to go Google it after we're done with this, right? Like I'm, I have a natural fascination, but for years, I thought that wasn't a skill set because I'm like, no, 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 no. Like dunking a basketball is a skill set because that's hard because I couldn't do it. You know, doing spreadsheets, that's hard. But I think there's a point where we have to self-reflect and go, just because I'm naturally good at something doesn't mean it's not a skill. And we like to discount ourselves and uplift others. And we discount ourselves and we uplift others. Um, and when, uh, actually it was one of the, the entrepreneurs on the tour was like, you ask really good questions. And that was like all of the, like that was like all of the 
confirmation I needed for some reason. It's like I needed that external validation. I didn't even know I needed it to go like, this is the skill. So being able to say things like, you know, I would ask tons of questions like, well, how do you get an audience's attention in the first five seconds? How do you close an event so that they remember it? How do you put together content so that it's good? Why do I remember some speakers and not others? How do I find research that's actually applicable and utilize it? How do I build a tool that people like? So I, like I became fascinated by anything I didn't know the answer to, like anything becomes a question. And there's fact-based questions, which are answered by Google. And then there's like opinion-based questions, which are for me better person to person. So I actually love, I would, I would sit down with someone for an hour and talk to them and feel like I got an MBA versus going through four years of an MBA, because I'm just going to ask everything that I do not know. And I, I think if, if I could give anyone the skill set of curiosity to, to transfer it, it would be that whatever you don't know, turn it into a question. Well, I have no idea how to do that. Okay, we'll turn it into a question. How do you do that? Well, which part of it don't you know? I don't know anything. So then I might start generally. I know nothing about how to do a podcast, Robbie. How do you do that? And like, Robbie, you coach incredible entrepreneurs, typically folks who are entrepreneurs. You work with a lot of women. And I was like, maybe I wanted to learn that skill. I'd first say, what's the first question you ask them? What patterns do you see are similar with the clients that you work with? What problems are they dealing with? So like, I would ask all of those questions to you. And then because you have this breadth of experience, you can synthesize so many data points into a simple sentence that stops me from doing the, should I go left? Should I go right? No, I go left because Robbie said to do so because he has that kind of experience. And I'm so glad you underscored that because I do think everyone listening, like that is the takeaway that we, we miss. I'll tell you mine real briefly. I didn't know I was an MC. And in retrospect, this is the silliest thing ever. Totally. It's a, it's clearly a, um, you know, imposter syndrome type, you know, negative talk, whatever. I don't know what you'd call it, but I joined the National Speakers Association MC Facebook group in 2018. And I felt like an interloper, like a lurker. Like I didn't really belong there. Like I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I liked a few things, but I like didn't want to make a fuss. And it's hysterical because when the pandemic hits and I'm now, you know, running all these virtual events, I'm constantly MCing. I've always had a stage manager MC kind of role. I'm that person in life. You know, if you want to make plans for dinner, I'm going to be organizing the group. So like, I don't know why I just, I never advertised myself as an MC. And it just, it was one of those things where it's like, you have that skill set, but you don't want to name it because you don't, you don't really think you have it or you don't, you don't completely value because it's the things I knew how to do just came easy. I thought, well, the MCs must be doing something else because this stuff that I'm doing is just really easy. Like, I'm sure those people are doing something different than like, and I, I mean, they get to call themselves that, you know, it's like, it's so funny. And a, a National Speaker Association has been really good for me to think about like the range of ways we bring the spoken word forward. I'm curious, at what point, if ever, did you interconnect with the National Speakers Association? Yeah, so I, I always knew about the NSA, right? Because that's like one of the probably the largest groups of associations for professional speakers. So I always knew about it, but I always was like, oh, you know, I don't know, because I'm gonna be very honest with you. I'm, I'm gonna be transparent with you, Robbie. Uh, if I meet 20 speakers, I might like five of them, right? Like there's another 15 that they're a little bit too into themselves, a little bit too, I'm the greatest person in the whole wide world. and. And I was like, ah, it's never been my vibe, right? I've always been about service. I've always been about like, look, I, I'm a messenger. I'm a conduit for a message to impact life. If someone tells me, Aurel, you're an amazing speaker, I failed because I want them to be like, your speaking impacted me, right? It's like, that's always been my mindset. So like, maybe I'd meet 20 people and 15 of them. I just, I'm like, man, I just like, it feels like nails on a chalkboard because it's me, 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 not serve, serve, serve. So um, a friend of mine named Brittany Hodak, I actually uh, hired her to speak at uh, one of the events for a mastermind that I run with um, two incredible partners. And we were chatting and she said, Aurel, where do you go for your speaker questions? And I was like, well, I don't go anywhere. I go to my entrepreneur friends. She was like, yeah, but like at this point in the game, if you have speaker questions, you should just go to speakers. You shouldn't be trying to go to entrepreneurs only. And, and I was like, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. 
I was like that, like when she said that, because I'm like, I'm constantly going to my friend who runs like a recycling business and being like, how do I like get client? He's like, it's a totally different business, man. Like, I'll tell you what we do. So instead of spending all that time trying to transmute it, why don't you just go to people who are already successful in the thing you're doing and then ask them the exact question that you have and get the answer. And I was like, honestly, that's simple as I said, that's damn, that's damn intelligent Brit. So I said, all right, I'm going and I signed up and I went. Yeah. And this is this past year, which is how you and I connected. You also signed up for the buddy program, which considering you're not new to the speaking world, I want to give you kudos because I feel like sometimes when people are new to a space, they like don't want to put on the I'm new here label, but, but it's the only year that you attend a conference where people are going to give you extra attention. <laughs> and like, until you get on the main stage, like there's a lot of years for most people between like first day they show up and the day they everyone knows their name. And so at least that first year, like take advantage of every opportunity, you know, and National Speaker Association does have a buddy program and we got connected and got a chance to talk um, before. He was my buddy, Robbie. He was my buddy. Yeah, I was your buddy. So um, just really cool. And I, I think um, Bridget's right. You know, at some point, the kind of questions you have, you know, the people who know those answers, who've lived that, you know, where are they? How do you connect with them? And I'm actually just curious because, you know, we're, we're going to wrap up soon. So I want to talk a little bit about networking because clearly like the people you've met along the way have had such an impact on your story and you've given back as well. So when you're thinking about, I don't know, there's sort of that inner circle of your network, the people, you know, you're going to stay in touch with, like that's clear, but I'm always curious about that second and third layer or second, third tier out the people you might see once a year at a conference, um, the people that you maybe worked with five years ago, but you're not right now. And these are people you like, I should mention, <laughs> these are people you enjoy, their company. How yeah. do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of looser connections? What, any, any habits, philosophies, practices? Yeah, yeah, you know, so I'll tell you something very practical and then I'll tell you something philosophical, right? So practically, the biggest thing is documenting who these people are. Um, so what would happen is I would go to a speaking engagement and then at the end of my speaking engagement, I'd be like, there's probably people in this room that may want to book me or may want to, but like, how do I identify them? How do I stay in touch with them? Like, how do I, like, if someone has a conversation, they'd give me their card and I'd like bend the corner and like put it in my pocket and be like, Ooh, the one with the corner bent, like, that's the one I need to follow up with. But then what would happen is like the cards would just go into a pile and I'd be really bad at following up. So, um, well, one of the things we did is I like, I, I like created this software called talk dot, which actually like gains leads. So it just goes into a spreadsheet, right? So like anyone can get a free account. You can go to talkadot.com. It's a free tool for speakers. And like I created because like I wanted that, right? So that gives me a spreadsheet and then I can just throw them into a uh, CRM and then have emails go out regularly. So now obviously it's an email list, but at least I'm visually staying in front of them. And typically if someone replies to one of my mass emails, then I'm like, I care about this person. I'm going to respond. I'm going to give them my private, like personal intention because most people receive those and they don't care. But for the person who goes, no, I'm going to respond to it, right? Like, well, like that person matters. So that's like practical. Philosophically speaking, um, I think you have to manage um, your energy state with connections. Um, one of the things that I, I love to do is I choose a period of time. It's typically once a month. It's not like a very formal thing. And I go, today, I'm just going to randomly message and text people, right? So I call it phone book roulette. It's a game I like to play. So the, the philosophy is just manage my energy. There's no way I can maintain deep, deep, deep relationships with hundreds of people. It's just not philosophically possible. But what I can do is randomly text people. And what it looks like is something might be like, hey, I found this quote. I thought you might like it. Here you go. Or, hey, just thinking about you, tell me one thing new or exciting. And I'll literally spend 20 minutes and maybe I'm in transport somewhere. So it's easy to do. Like I'm waiting for a plane to go off or maybe I'm in line somewhere. And I literally just start messaging random people in my phone book. I just change the contacts and I message people. And it's not like systematic where it's like I do these people. Then they, like I just go through my phone book, message them something, just say, I'm thinking about you. Just want you to know. And I cannot tell you how many people will say something like, you had no idea how much it means to me that you checked in with me or I was going through a really tough time and I didn't think anyone cared. And this mess, this message means the world. So it's not in the same vein as like, I'm going to be a croissant at a networking event and open myself up to have this long one hour conversation with someone. It's more, I just want to do a touch point. 
just a quick tap to let you know you're on my mind. I think of you. And, you know, I'll share this. I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but Robbie, I appreciate you. I had a dear friend of mine pass away. And in the mail, I get a card that says, yo, I'm so sorry for your loss from you. And when I got that, I was like, I break my back for this guy. Like, this is the kind of guy that, like, I'm going to go to war for simply because you took that small piece of your time to just tap to say, hey, I'm thinking about you during this period. And I think that if we philosophically realize that connections with that second and third do not have to be one hour coffee dates. They don't have to be dinner invitations because that's a huge emotional energy lift. It can be just, hey, I'm thinking about you, Robbie. Hope all is well. No need to reply or out. And I like to say that sometimes, like no need to reply. It's like, I just want you to know I'm thinking of you, no heavy lift on getting back to me. And that builds an incredible sense of social capital over long periods of time when you do it. So much good stuff to unpack here. One, Takadot, we're going to put the link in uh, in the show notes. Uh, I've signed up. I'm checking it out. I heard about it uh, a little bit from you. I heard about it a lot from Bobby Carlton at Innovation Women. Um, yeah, Bobby's so, awesome. so Bobby, shout out. Um, and, uh, and it's very cool. I don't do the kind of events where I am using it, but I know people and I'm like, oh, I think this could be really useful for what they're doing. And even my clients who are trying to figure out how to get feedback. So I'm like, this is really smart. So well done on creating a, a useful tool for speakers that again, was a need that you had, right? Don't go looking to solve the world's problems, solve your own problems and then sell those solutions. Um, and I also, I, you know, these, these idea of, um, of how do you touch base? I mean, one, you said something about turning down the corner of the cards and, um, and I, I like very happily clapped along here. That is such a basic, but simple and important element. Um, but piece, I think you're missing for the follow-up that I suggest is to schedule an hour on your calendar after these like major networking moments within like a couple of days and just like have that already on the calendar so that the cards come home and get dropped on the table. You pull out the ones of the turn corners. And if you want a really a bonus tip, draft your follow-up message before you even leave the house. So if you've already got a bunch of templates kind of going, then you're not scared on a blank stage. You just go a blank page. You're just like, Oh, I'm going to grab a little of this, a little of this. I'll personalize it. And then you shoot it off a of note. So my, my background as a networking expert is coming in here, but that's um, great. But I also love the idea that these touch points don't have to be big deals. They don't have to be these like constant phone calls or emails or constant video chats. Um, I did start doing cards and um, I really appreciate you mentioning it, you know, because I, I think that this is a, something else that everyone listening can, can think about doing. For me, I always wanted to be the person who sent, like, I think of myself as the person who would send a card, right? Like, I want to have that be who I am. And yet I didn't do it for the longest time. And it wouldn't matter if I had a stack of cards and stamps and a pen on my desk, I still would not do it. I would not do it. I would not do it. I don't know what the mental block is, right? But you got to understand, like you might have a passion for a way you want to show up in the world, but your process isn't working Then you got to change the process. So I discovered this online tool called Postable, postable.com as an uh, online address book that was free. And I was like, oh, that's helpful because my CRMs that I've used get bloated. And I'm like, I don't want to keep track of thousands of people. I want to keep track of just a few people, like man manage the list. And I will say I had that list for a long time before I realized, oh, this place sells cards. <laughs> I mean, I just like, I wasn't paying attention to it. And now when I see your post on Facebook, I make a note and I like, you know, send sympathy card to RL and then the next moment I have, I get to Postable and I pull up your name and I have your address because you had just registered to be a guest on my show and I collect, I collect addresses. So it's kind of like, this is one of the things that I try to do is like, you have to have things kind of at your fingertips, the way that makes sense to you so you can act because it would have been very nice of me just to think about sending you a card, <laughs> but you wouldn't have known. Right. And, you know, like, I'm like, well, at least I'm the kind of person who thinks to do it. <laughs> That's not enough for me anymore. Um, but, but I, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, um, I, I like how you're saying these touch points, this like phone roulette, you know, where you're reaching out to people, no reply needed. Um, I had, I had an interesting thing happen the other day. 
someone reached out to me with a like, hey, what are you working on these days? Kind of like open-ended. And I kind of noted that I'll, I'll get back to them. But I, it was sort of so open-ended. I was, it was an email. I was like, oh, I feel like I should send some kind of response. And I couldn't think of what it was. And they sent back another nudge. Hey, I hope my message found you and didn't go to your spam. And I, so then I like did a little quick video to be like, hey, this is what I'm up to. And then they were like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm really, you know, comment. And here's this thing I'm working on. <laughs> And do you want to do it? And I was like, well, I can't, I mean, I do appreciate that they got my attention and like they built some rapport. Um, but then it's like, why, you know, like, can we do that without necessarily having the ask? Like, it sounds like for you, most times you're reaching out, there's not like a, and now I want you to buy my book. And now I want you to. It's never an ask. Yeah. Never an ask. Literally like it, it, the, the game you should play is how do you never ask anyone for anything? That's like the game to play, right? And this is, I can't stress this enough. Let's say for example, um, oh, Robbie, I really, let's say I wanted to be on your podcast, right? Oh my God, like I gotta, I, but I don't wanna ask him to be on my podcast, right? I'm just gonna touch base with him. I'm gonna like, hey, Robbie, how are you? Because here's what I know, human nature will probably happen. Let's say I text Robbie, hey, Rob, man, just thinking about you, hope all is well, boom. And I'm just sending out positive love. There's a percentage chance Robbie might go, dang, what's Aurel up to? Man, I haven't heard from this dude in a while. Let me check his Facebook. I haven't seen this dude in a while. And then if, I, if I'm if i doing anything that's noteworthy of attention, then he might go, dude, I see you're working on this thing. Would you like to be a guest on my podcast? Oh my gosh, I would love to be a guest on your podcast, right? So like that to me is the best flow. But people try to do like direct response with friends. And it's like do direct response with cold markets, fine, right? But not direct response with friends. So I think it's much better to just um, one, do interesting things in general, like be someone who is like, go out of your way to live an interesting life, right? Share what you want to share about that interesting life and just reach out and never ask. And just never, ever, ever ask. And you will actually find you have more deep meaning relationships and probably more business through that philosophy. Then if you do the, hey, I was just thinking about you. How you doing, Robbie? Oh man, thanks for asking. I'm working on this thing. I'm doing, oh cool, I'm moving on Tuesday. You think you can help me move? It's like, you've literally now soiled the incredible moment that we could have just had together. <laughs> what a it. great example, Aurel. <laughs> hey, um, before before we wrap up, uh, you are on a TV show and uh, which is cool. And I, I don't know many people personally who've managed to do that. So was there a person, like what was the situation that got you that opportunity? Since of course you didn't go and blatantly ask, but. I didn't, I didn't. Uh, what was, so, that? What was uh, the opportunity there? Everyone who's listening, if you have Disney Plus, go ahead and type in Family Reboot. I'm one of the hosts of that show on Disney Plus right now. Um, and uh, honestly, a producer saw one of my speaking videos. Like, I wish it was a better story. A producer saw one of my speaking videos, shot me an email and said, I think you might do well on TV. Have you ever thought about it before? And I was like, you're going to steal my kidneys, but I'm going to like see where this goes. Cause like who sends emails like that? Um, so it was a producer who saw it um, and then had this vision of doing a show. We actually put a show together um, and that show didn't get picked up, but because I was now in that world, like two years later, someone from the Disney um, program and uh, Kelly Ripa's company, Milajo Production, they, uh, they produced the show, got a hold of my tape. Um, and so it was literally just someone saw, and here's the thing that I just want to stress to everyone right now who's putting out content. Um, the video that this person saw, I think had like 1,200 views. So it's not like I'm this YouTuber with 7 million followers and it was inevitable, right? Literally, it was just someone saw it and they liked what they saw and they decided to say, hey, I think this person could be a hidden gem. I think this person. So I, I encourage people if they do inspire to put out content, put it out. Even if you have five views, six views, it's, you just need the one right view to change the whole trajectory of your life. And in my case, get a TV show. Um, so I just can't stress, do not focus on vanity metrics, uh, if you're putting out good content, good things will happen. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for giving us a quick overview of how that all came to be. Um, hey, we're gonna stay in touch. This is my wrap up question. I know that we're gonna stay in touch because you're good people, I'm good people, good people should hang out. And let's say it's a year from now and I realize, wow, hey, Aurel, it's been a year. It's been a year since you and I last did this interview. 
Um, I want to know in a year, what are we going to be celebrating on your behalf? What are we going to be toasting? What are you most looking forward to? Oh man, that's a great question. That's a fantastic question. Um, in a year, I would love to be toasting. Um, I have a vision for that tool talk a dot that we mentioned. Um, I have a vision that this will be a ubiquitous tool within the speaking and event space. Um, and I would love for, I think that um, speakers don't collect data and don't collect leads well. So by servicing that we can, and for event planners, they don't do a good job of collecting data and then turning that data into actual actionable ideas. So my whole vision for it is to create a tool that allows people to actually get better at what they do. And um, it, it would be an aggressive goal, but um, the goal would be that in a year, if you said talk it out in the event planner space or the speaker space, people would be like, I've heard of that. And if that was the case, then I'd be like a pretty happy camper because that means that we're helping a lot of people. That's amazing. I can't wait to celebrate that with you and help you make it happen. Uh, RL, how can people find you and follow your work? Um, I am the only RL Moody in the whole world. Um, so what that means is if you put my name into Google, there's only one person that's going to show up and that's me. So if you jump on LinkedIn, if you jumped on Facebook, you jump on Instagram, um, I'm on those platforms. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't use it. I refuse to get on TikTok. That's just my line in the sand. Nothing against TikTok users. I just realized there's but so many social media things I can be good at. So uh, if you want to connect with me, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn, Aurel Moody, only one in the world, best way to connect with me. Fantastic. We'll put all those links in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. I challenge you if you're listening to connect with me. I challenge you. I challenge you to be like, hey, I heard you talking to Robbie. I just want to say good on you. Just do, I challenge you, do it. I can't tell you how many listeners listen and be like, I should, like you said, I should reach out to that person. Yo, like legit, like reach out, see if I don't reply. I challenge you. I love that because as content creators, all we want is that personal outreach back saying, hey, that was pretty cool content. I like that. That had an impact on me. Well, thank you for that and for this conversation, Ralph. Appreciate you being here. Yo, my pleasure, man. Thank you for creating this space so that we can improve upon not only our information, but our process in using that information to better our lives. And um, I think if there's anyone looking for clarity or help, if you are an entrepreneur and you need help, Robbie is one of the best people to consult and um, talk to. He truly, truly cares and clearly has a great sense of what he's doing. So thank you for creating this space to do so. My pleasure. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Laurel. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 306. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please, Share with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then... Have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.